Good morning. Good morning. morning. And let's begin with prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we are so thankful that you are the king of heaven and the creator of all things. And we thank you that you've revealed yourself so fully in Jesus. We ask that your spirit will join us today, enlighten our minds, prepare us to be effective in this time in human history where you need your witnesses to give clear uh, messages about you and your kingdom of love. We pray in your holy name. Amen. We're doing lesson nine in the quarterly, The Promise, God's Everlasting Covenant. And the title this week is Covenant Sign. The lesson is about the Sabbath as a sign of the covenant. And what is the covenant? Isn't it the covenant of salvation? Yes, yes. Isn't it, and, and would you state the covenant? Uh, how would you state the covenant of salvation? God provides everything necessary for human beings through Jesus Christ, our Messiah, for our salvation. We trust him and cooperate with him for salvation. That's the covenant. He provides everything, we cooperate. We trust and cooperate. It's very simple, really. Now, you can get into the weeds of what that means, just like if you had a a doctor and you were sick and he provides the remedy that you need, you can get way down to the physiological consequences and what's wrong pathophysiologically and and, uh, what's going on um, medically to heal you. But at the end of the day, the doctor's providing the remedy, you're cooperating in trust with your doctor to get well. So the next couple of questions that we're talking about the Sabbath this week. Did the Sabbath exist before or after sin? After. After. So, after Lucifer sinned in heaven. After. So, Lucifer sinned first, Sabbath came second. Did Sabbath exist before or after human sin? Before human sin in Eden. Did the Sabbath exist before or after the covenant with Adam? Before the covenant with Adam. If the Sabbath was created before Adam sinned, before the covenant was made with Adam for salvation of humanity, how is it part of the covenant of salvation? Well, God still provided. Still through honoring him and stuff that he provided a way salvation is the sabbath part of the evidence necessary to defeat the father of lies yes was the sabbath made for man or was man made for the sabbath what was the purpose of the sabbath in eden before adam and eve sinned what was its purpose there was it part of the covenant of salvation before they sinned and needed salvation Memorial of our roots, our creation. How did Adam and Eve begin their lives? On Sabbath. They entered rest with God. And they hadn't even done anything yet, no work. So in your view, is it we work six days and then rest on the Sabbath? Or is it we rest on the Sabbath and then work six days? <laughs> Which way do you approach it? In your view, do you work six days and then rest on the Sabbath? Or do you rest on the Sabbath and then work six days? Never thought of it that way, Tim. Always thought of it the other way. Well, my mom said uh, she's never thought of it that way. It was always the work six days and rest. I'm here to challenge your thinking. Adam had named all the animals. I'm sure that was tiring. <laughs> you think he got them all done on the on the on the few hours left on Friday afternoon before sunset? Turn the TV off. Yeah. So resting 
first. Now, let me ask you this. Can you really work for God if you don't rest in him first? So what really comes first? Uh, interesting. So, and is this resting in uh, from work in the Lord a legal rest, a legal test of obligation, a, a test of obedience, or is it some other type of rest? I don't think it is legal. Isn't it about trust in God? The rest is it's, it's something about trust. There's no question that if we're doing if we're doing anything for the Lord is always based in trust. Yes. Wouldn't it be a preparatory time for the week? Okay. Get us ready to get us uh, empowered and. And Adam and Eve were preparing in Eden for their week. <laughs> I don't know. Because they needed to wait a week for the Lord to come again to visit with them, or did He come in the cool of every evening? Every evening. So what was it about that first Sabbath and God's design for it? So Sunday's lesson points out that, G, uh, that Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath, in other words, was made, created. It had a beginning. And that beginning was the seventh day of creation week of planet Earth and the solar system. Meaning the Sabbath did not exist when Lucifer rebelled in heaven. Didn't exist then. Now, why is this important, especially for Seventh-day Adventists who so value the Sabbath? SDAs have taught that the final conflict will involve the Sabbath in some way contrasted with Sunday. SDAs, SDAs have held this up as a test issue, a demarcation issue. But is it possible we have not represented it in its most full and accurate way, and even the representations historically have been misleading. Well, consider these comments from one of the founders of the SDA church. And let's keep these comments in mind in regard to the question of the Sabbath that didn't exist when Lucifer rebelled in heaven. Great Controversy 582. The last great conflict between truth and error is but the final struggle of the long-standing controversy concerning the law of God. Upon this battle we are now entering, the battle between the laws of men and the precepts of Jehovah, between the religion of the Bible and the religion of fable and tradition. This is Prophets and Kings, page 625. There is no such thing as weakening or strengthening the law of Jehovah. As it has been, so it is. It always has been and always will be holy and good and holy, just and good, complete in itself. It cannot be repealed or changed. To honor or dishonor it is but the speech of men. Between the laws of men and the precepts of Jehovah will come the last great conflict and the controversy between truth and error. Upon this battle we are now entering, a battle not between rival churches contending for the supremacy, but between the religion of the Bible and the religions of fable and tradition. If the last great conflict between truth and error is just the completion of the long-standing battle over God's law, which began in heaven, 
How does the Sabbath fit in since the Sabbath didn't exist when the long-standing battle began? Fair question? The Adventists have always pointed that the Sabbath Sunday issue is the final issue. Yet this same author who makes that same point, and I'll read some of her other quotes about that later, is saying clearly here that the final issue is, is the, the, the final struggle over the long-standing issue over the law of God that began in heaven. Hmm. Wouldn't that mean that the law would be honoring God, no matter what, whether there's a Sabbath or not, it's obeying and honoring God. They even did that in heaven, even though they didn't have a Sabbath. So, I don't disagree, but how, what does that look like? How, how does it work? Are we to yes. consider his ways every day and look at what God has done for us every day? It was a sign or a symbol of what our outlook should be all the time. I like where you're going with that, yes. Hasn't it given us a false sense of security? All I have to do is just make sure I go to church on Saturday and not Sunday. I think I think that's part of the historic problem of the presentation. So in order to understand the Sabbath question accurately, we must first understand God's law accurately. We must first understand how God's law was an issue for the angels in heaven. Once we identify the problem, then we can move on to understand the question of how the Sabbath fits in to this problem and what role it may play here as we approach the end of time. So Satan attacks God's law in some way. How does he do it, and why does he do it? So, how did the angels in heaven view God's law before? They didn't even know there was law. So, Thoughts on the Mount of Blessing, page 109. According to the author, it says the following, But in heaven, service is not rendered in the spirit of legality. Think what that means, legality. What kind of government uses a legality approach? Human governments, impose laws, rules, enforcement, judicial processing, that's legality. That's not heaven, according to this author. Keep going. When Satan rebelled against the law of Jehovah, the thought that there was a law came to the angels almost as an awakening to something unthought of. Now, what kind of law, putting the quotes together we've read, cannot be weakened or strengthened, has always been, always will be, is in force, yet unthought of, and you're expected to obey, lest there's bad consequence? The natural law. Only design law. Design laws. Human laws that we make up have no power unless people are informed about them and also then informed of the threat of punishment you'll get if you don't obey. Understand, in heaven, God's laws are design laws, the protocols upon which reality operates. There is no such thing as imperial law in heaven. Remember the example I've given many times, but Isaac Newton telling his friends he discovered gravity. And his friends go, uh, the law of gravity, there's a law of gravity! And his friends go, wow, there's a law about that? I just never thought about it, it's just how things work. And every, it's just unthought of. That's how design laws work. It's how reality works. So what did Satan do to attack God's law in heaven? This thing that is just how reality works and the angels don't even think about it. From the book, The Desire of Ages, page 761. You've heard this quote before, but notice what he did. In the opening of the great controversy, and remember the, the final issue is the completion or the final struggle of the long-standing issue over the question of God's loss. So you want to know what that question was? Here it is. The opening of the great controversy. This is how it began. Satan had declared a declaration, a proclamation, a claim, an accusation, not evidence, a polemic. That's war in heaven, polemic. He made war 
by making lies. He, he may, Satan had declared that the law of God could not be obeyed, that justice was inconsistent with mercy, that should the law be broken, it would be impossible for the sinner to be pardoned. Every sin must meet its punishment, urged Satan. Now, was Satan referring to design laws when he... What kind of law requires God to punish? Every sin must be punished, urged Satan. What kind of law requires punishment? It is not true that every sin must be punished. In design law, every sin, if you are a God of love, must be the Lamb of God who comes to take away the punishment for all the bad sins of the world. Or the Lamb of God who takes away the... Oh, not takes away the punishment for sin, takes away the sin. And where does sin exist? In books or in hearts and minds? Does sin operate in a ledger? Or sin operates in living beings? He came to take away the rebellion, the sin, the fear, the selfishness out of the hearts. He came to cure the condition, to give us new hearts and right spirits, to write his law in our hearts and minds. This is the reality. So sin... If we are to have life, requires removal from the heart and mind of the sinner. You could say it requires healing or restoration or recreation or renewal. It doesn't require punishment. The type of thing that requires punishment is human law. So if you want to use the example again of God's law built into nature, every breath you take, you give away carbon dioxide to the plants, and plants give oxygen back to you, if you transgress the law because you have the liberty to do so and you tie a plastic bag over your head selfishly hoarding your carbon dioxide to yourself, you're now a transgressor. You're out of harmony with the law. You're no longer giving. You're hoarding and taking and selfishly doing so. What's the result of that? Yes, the result of that is death. And what does the law require? That you be punished by an external authority? Or does God's law require if you're to live that the bag be removed, that you be restored to harmony with the law. That's what the law requires. It's very simple if you understand design law. So back to what our focus is. Satan attacked in heaven God's law by attacking the idea of law so that beings came to view God as an imperial lawgiver who is the source of inflicted punishment for law. That's how we operate. He deceived the angels in heaven with this idea. And all those who teach that inflicted punishment is God's justice upon sinners are advancing Satan's kingdom. I want to be very clear on that. There is a punishment for sin, just like there's a punishment for the person who ties a plastic bag over their head. And it's an unavoidable, inescapable, terrible, devastating, destructive punishment. But it doesn't come out from God for those who do it. It comes from being out of harmony with the law. And that's why the Bible teaches the wages of sin is death. Sin when full grown brings forth death. Those who sow to the carnal nature from that nature reap destruction. And it's unavoidable unless you trust the lawgiver, the designer of life, to restore you back into harmony with the law. Then you live. So it was design law that Satan was talking about? No, it was not. Satan was perverting design law and introducing the idea that God's law functions like human law. That every sin must be punished is a construct of imperialism. It's not a construct of design law. 
So if you're an SDA and you value, value the position of the founders of the SDA church, especially Ellen White, then the final issue will come to a head over the same thing the war in heaven began over, which is a question over God's law, which is not primarily a question over the day of worship. It's not over that. That's not what Satan said. Hey, do you guys realize the Sabbath really in the Sabbath? We don't, what's the Sabbath? We don't even have a thing up here like that. That's not what the question was. The question was, does God's law function like rules made up that the rule giver punishes you for breaking? That was the allegation. God then becomes a dictator. Understand that. The Sabbath issue falls into a much bigger issue. So at the time of fall of Satan... Who was that? Who was breaking the laws? Who was worried about getting punished? None of them were. That's why this was a complete specious allegation. How would that attract anybody if they don't even know what's going on? You know, they don't. They, 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 they haven't seen punishment. They haven't. If they haven't, they've never they, seen sin. The results of it. Yeah. Yeah. And he went over the angels when the, when Noah was getting punished. No one was was out of harmony. And so, what was the deal? What was so the punishment wasn't instantly death. That was not the only punishment. The punishment was exclusion from council meetings. I'm being punished. I can't go into these councils that Michael gets to go into. It's not fair. Lucifer, the created, and the the um, bright and morning star, Phosphorus in the Greek, Lucifer in the Latin, uh, Michael, uh, the, Jesus in his pre-incarnate state, he gets to go into these councils. I don't get to go in. It's an arbitrary. He's punishing me because I asked him questions. He didn't like my questions that I was asking, so he told me I couldn't go in. I'm being punished. That's how. Would one of the items to include into the puzzle here would be being self-centered. In other words, the, the law, if the law is, edu- is put into effect as it's supposed to be, it is an other-centered uh, type of, of living. Absolutely. What I'm saying might suggest is that Satan is saying, no, God's law cannot be uh, maintained and followed in a total other-centered kind of way. I matter, uh, my thoughts matter, what, what my, what, what's important to me matters. So God's law is really not the way to do it. My way is the way to do it. Yep, no, there's no question about that. That's right. Self-advancement, no question. So the question, of God, the question began over a question over God's law. God makes up rules. Just not natural design. If you break the rules, he punishes you. And the kind of law one believes God to run his universe upon changes how you understand God. You worship a different God. If God's law functions like human law, if it's imperial, requiring judicial oversight, requiring infliction of external punishments... Ultimately, the ultimate punishment being death, then in such a universe where a deity kills his own disobedient children, is there real freedom? And without liberty, is there actual love? There's not. Uh, And what happens in the hearts and minds of intelligent beings when they're threatened? Fear. Fear and then rebellion. And notice, safety in a universe that is governed by an imperial dictator who is the source of inflicted punishment for disobedience, safety in that universe is by restraining the deity through law. We have a law. 
And the law says you can't kill us if the proper payment has been made. And this is why the imperial penal substitution liars cling to their lies because it gives them a perverse power over God claiming legal authority over his wrath by the blood of Jesus who paid their legal penalty for them. Therefore, God has no legal right to kill them anymore. And the legal penal theologians live in fear of what will happen if that payment isn't made. God will be required by law and justice to kill them. This is the height of paganism, where the ministering priests uh, use their incantations and rituals and blood sacrifices to control the power of the deity. That's penal substitution theology, folks. See it for what it is. The blood of the human sacrifice offered to the deity to pay for my crime so the deity has no power now to kill me. It's corrupt. And it's the heart. It's infected Christianity, and it infects Adventism. And the Adventist church was called specifically at this time in history to reject that and come back to worship in him who made the heavens and the earth, to see God's law as design law, to understand that it is through restoring his design in us through the work of Christ that we are actually brought back to eternal life. The final issues will revolve around the question of God's law and authority. Those who value Satan's view of law and justice will use Satan's methods of imposed law and coercive enforcement to get people to comply with their views. This is the beastly system of revelation. It doesn't come up promoting Satan worship. It comes up promoting justice of some kind. We've got to do the right thing. It may be through human governments they coerce, but it may also be through the merchants of the earth. If you remember, if you read Revelation, it talks about the merchants of the earth. Through big business, no one can buy or sell, save him who has the mark. Maybe you have a travel ban. Maybe you won't be able to go to college. Maybe you won't be able to enter buildings uh, and do commerce and business if you don't get their mark. But the coercive pressures are the same. I want you to understand, I'll give you a formula. Here's Satan's formula. Here's the formula. See it. I'm going to walk you through history and show it to you. Satan lies. When the lies are believed, that breaks the circle of love and trust, which results in fear and selfishness, the survival drives, threats. Survival drives cause us to be afraid. We, we see threats in the environment. Then Satan will act through his actors on the planet to actually create some actual physical threat to us. It could be a warring army. It could be a, a disease. It could be a beast. It could be, but, but we, are, we have a threat. We're threatened. That only makes our fear and our need to survive even worse. This results in then seeing more fear and more threats, even when threats don't actually exist. We see them. We become hypervigilant in threat assessment to self-protection, which leads us then to need to feel safe. And so we need to exercise power over our community, our environment, people around us to make us feel safe. We need to compel them to behave in ways that will make us feel safe. So we will coerce others and even destroy others to make us feel safe. Lies, believed, breaks our love and trust, incite fear, cause us to need to protect self. Some threat will be stirred up in the environment, often based on lies. Something real in the environment, but then magnified through lies. That makes us more fearful. Uh, see, threats where threats don't even exist anymore. And then we begin using power to coerce and compel others. Let me give you some examples from history. 
Saddam Hussein in Iraq. Lies about weapons of mass destruction were told uh, about Iraq. Those lies increased fear in people, and that fear caused us to need to protect ourselves. We need to survive. We need to protect ourselves. Which resulted in nation-states exercising their might and power to coerce, compel, kill, control, and destroy. Now we all feel safe. Nazi Germany, lies told about the Jews. Many lies told about the Jews. Lies increased the fear of, of the people about economic exploitation and other injury from the Jewish people, which increased the need to protect selves. And then the state began exercising its power to compel and destroy. And notice that, that the lies in Germany, in uh, Nazi Germany, uh, resulted in passing of incremental laws over multiple years that slowly encroached and took away liberties. Uh, initial laws where you couldn't gather and protest. Protest, public demonstration was outlawed. Uh, uh, where you could do commerce if you were Jewish was outlawed. Uh, how, how you had to put a patch on your clothing. Uh, different, different types of... You, you're a medical practitioner. Your license was restricted to only people... In other words, lots and lots of incremental restrictions of liberties before they ever got to the point of genocide. Climate change. Lies are told and told and told. How about, there is no God. We evolved. This is the, the philosophy of, of those who advance this. Uh, the, the, the globe is warming, and the future is global catastrophic climate destruction if we don't save ourselves by building our tower of, of carbon to heaven. Because there is no future new heaven and new earth. Jesus Christ is not coming back. The new earth doesn't get recreated to home of the righteous. That's, that's all lie. There is no God. We're on our own, folks. So we have more fear. Fear of the future. Fear of overpopulation. Fear of oceans rising. Fear of uh, catastrophic climate collapse. And what does that do? It results in need to gain power and authority over others to make others live in the way you want them to live. It means artificially raising prices of carbon-based energies, restricting liberties, restricting scientific investigation and publication, and restricting free speech. That'll never happen. (laughs) I don't know if I told you, but two weeks ago we were censored on YouTube. YouTube censored us with a big warning that we violated their safe community standards by asking medical ethics questions. Here's another one. Satan's method, remember? Fear. There may be something real in the environment, a potential threat, but then it's magnified through lies. Lies that incite, break circle of incite fear, causing survival drives, need to pass laws to controllers. COVID-19. Real virus, but lie after lie after lie has been told about this thing. And all the lies in one direction to incite fear, to incite fear, to incite fear, which increased survival drives, which increased the uh, sense of threat when minimal or no threat actually exists. For instance, I'll give you some lies that are now out in the open, out in the public. You used to be told just just up until a couple weeks ago that if you're out in the outdoors, in nature, outside, that 
10% risk of, being, of having COVID transmitted to you in the outside, in the outdoors. We now know that was all fraudulent information. It's less than 0.1% risk outside. It was inflated by over 100 times. What was the purpose of that? To make you more afraid. We were told that you, even outside, that to be safe, you have to see six feet apart. We now know that is fraudulent. The data shows that there is no enhanced safety from three feet to six feet. You're just as safe at three feet as you are at six feet. But what was that designed to do? To make you afraid. That's what these are designed to do. And, and therefore, we need to use governmental economic coercion and pressure to get people to comply. Do you know that right now, people are, some people are calling for all types of coercive pressure to mandate people to get various types of things injected into their body. I know, um, in fact, it's very public. One of our U.S. senators went public. We have 100 senators. One of those 100 went public that under the advice of his medical doctor, because he had COVID-19 and recovered, and they drew, and he has antibodies, that his doctor advises him not to get the injection, that one of the major news networks, after he went public with this, accused him of being an agent for Russia. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I can give you the documentation on this. This U.S. senator is now labeled as an agent for Russia because he has immunity from his own immune system, having survived this, and his doctor recommends not getting the injection. He is now working for Russia. Understand the lies that are being told to incite fear. But one item that I think Bear is mentioning here is that it doesn't matter if these lies are proven to be lies. The effect has already been accomplished. The fear has been incited. That's right. So even though the, the lie is proven wrong, the, the, what they wanted to do with it is already done. You see this, I didn't have it in my notes, but since you mentioned that, I wrote a blog uh, last year about the lies in the media over racism. There were several overt lies told, purposely, knowingly, and willfully. I will give you the example of the Covington Catholic schoolboys who um, Washington Post, CNN, settled multi-million dollar defamation suits with because they fraudulently represented and edited what happened there as if these boys wearing MAGA hats were uh, uh, disparaging and attacking people of color. And it was exactly the opposite that was happening there. And it, it, it's so egregious. But, but that, those, those news stories went out repeatedly to incite fear. And even though it came be proven later that it was all false... People of color have more fear now. They're afraid. They're afraid it's not safe in this country. And they're still conditioned to be afraid. That's exactly correct. There's more stories like that. Now understand, a virus is released that causes disease, illness, and death in some. Viruses are not part of God's creation. They are an infestation of God's creation, just like computer viruses are not part of the operating system by the computer designer and maker. They are purposeful manipulations by hackers to attack and damage the systems that the uh, the creators of the software have made. Uh, viruses that we experience in this world are not part of God's original creation. And this particular one, I've got a link here if you want to see it, well documented. It was a manipulated by humans to, be, to magnify its capacity to infect human beings. 
we can argue all, all we want about why they did it. Some say it was because they wanted to find cures and protect us from the next plague. Others argue because it was a weapon. I don't know what the motives were, but the fact that it was, it was gained to function by, uh, in a lab is pretty irrefutable at this point. The virus and illness um, incite fear in people. Fear is Satan's number one emotion that drives selfishness. And notice society today. We have a virus, but worse than having a virus, what's much worse to our society is the fear. The fear that we have is much worse than the virus itself. And what is the cure for lies? Truth cures lies. But notice today in our society, truth is not to be tolerated. That's right. Truth is to be silenced. Uh, anybody who stands up and, and brings evidence in truth is, is, a, is labeled as a conspiracy nut, an anti-vaxxer, uh, designed to, and we must, keep the, we must keep the lies propagating because we must keep fear rising. Lies incite more fear, cause people to become more self-centered, which makes them more survival-driven, which causes them to be more um, uh, sensitive or hypervigilant. So they see more threats. Other people who don't comply and they want to feel safe, so they need to make more rules. They need to force other people to comply with their rules. And we need villains. We need villains. We need enemies that we can punish so we can feel safe. And so we make mandates on people that have no basis in actual evidence in science just to make us feel safer you must wear this or do that or stay we must shut down houses of worship we must shut down schools we must deny family members the ability to be with loved ones in hospice or just going through medical procedures of of a serious nature i i know i know some of my patient family members who had cardiac bypass surgery during this time and they couldn't have family members with them in the recovery area and Anybody will tell you that the overwhelming evidence of science is you get better outcomes if you're supported by family than if you're in isolation. Multiple better outcomes, less pain medicines, less infections, shorter hospital stays, less death after major procedures. But it doesn't matter. We have to feel safe, safe from a virus. And then people who ask questions must be deplatformed, shut down, censored. And then we in, 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 and then we instigate the largest human experiment ever done in the history of the planet. And we coerce and compel or bribe people to participate. So what does fear do to people? And where does the Sabbath fit into this? Well, the memory text, Exodus 31, 16 through 17, Israel are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for generation for, as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between uh, God and Israel uh, forever, it says. So how is a Sabbath, of a, cov- uh, a Sabbath a sign of the covenant of salvation? Which is what we're talking about today. Sin began in heaven before the Sabbath. Long-standing struggle over a question of God's law, but the Sabbath's a part of it. How? I'm going to read one quotation that is uh, most Adventists would be familiar with. Some like it because it makes them self, self feel good about their Sabbath behavior. Some use it as a cudgel to beat up people who go to church on Sunday. We're not going to use it for any of those. We're going to use it simply to understand context and unpack its true meaning. This is um, 8 Testimonies 117. 
The sign or seal of God is revealed in the observance of the seventh-day Sabbath, the Lord's memorial of creation. The mark of the beast is the opposite of this, the observance of the first day of the week. What law lens are you looking at this through or hearing this through? Is the issue of salvation and our preparation to meet Jesus, our, our being ready for translation right into heaven without seeing death, simply a matter of what day you go to church on? Is that all, it's all it is. If a person absolutely is loyal and faithful to the Sabbath, even under the threat of being stoned, does that mean that they are guaranteed to get the seal of God and not the mark of the beast? Well, how about those who crucified Christ 2,000 years ago? Why did they want him off the cross? To keep the Sabbath. Does that mean they have the seal of God? They have the sign? They didn't have the wrong day. They had the sign of the covenant, didn't they? Somehow, though, it didn't work having that sign. Why not? So I'm going to be very clear here. Satan doesn't care if you worship on the Sabbath as long as you're worshiping him. I'll say that again. Satan doesn't care if you're worshiping on the Sabbath as long as you're worshiping him. And if you're worshiping an imperial dictator where the Sabbath is a sign or a test of obedience, and if you don't keep it, he'll punish you, you're not worshiping Jesus Christ. Even if you're doing it on the Sabbath, you're like the Pharisees. Here's another quote, three manuscript release, page 189. It says, be sure the Sabbath is a test question. And how you treat this question places you on either God's side or Satan's side. The mark of the beast is to be presented in some shape to every institution and every individual. In some shape. Interesting. God's law is not imposed, always is, always been, can't be changed, came as something unthought of. But how then is the Sabbath a test question? How is the mark of the beast represented in some shape to every person and every institution? In Friday's lesson, the lesson points out that the Sabbath contains the name of God as creator and the sphere of his influence, the heavens, their sea, and all that in them is. And it says, quote, In these two aspects, the Sabbath commandment has the characteristics of the typic- that are typical of seals. And I want you to understand that this argument is a level four argument. It's a human law argument. Not a design law argument. It understands God's laws functioning like human law, therefore it must have his name and it must have his territory so he can then impose his authority over over, uh, his territory. Now, I'm not disputing that God is the creator. Of course he is. And I'm not disputing all the universe is his. He's created it. Of course it is. But I want to tell you, I'm going to suggest to you, that is not ultimately the seal of God. Some, Some arbitrary signet that just claims or writes his name as creator and his territory in some stone tablet. What does the Bible say about God's seal? Well, let me read you some. Revelation 7, 3 says, Do not harm the land, sea, or trees until we put the seal of God in the foreheads of the servants of our God. Is this talking about the Sabbath? The seal of God, the Sabbath? Is it talking about that maybe we get a tattoo of the fourth commandment in our forehead? Go to a tattoo artist and have, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, tattooed right here. Are you sealed? It's in your forehead now. How about this? 2 Corinthians 1, 21, 22. Now it is God who makes us both now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Ephesians 1 13. 
And you also were included in Christ when you heard the words of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30. We do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What is God's seal? Well, Ellen White says, to be sealed of God is to be, anybody know? Settled into the truth, both intellectually and spiritually, that you cannot be moved. Okay, intellectually, your understanding of reality, your thought patterns, your beliefs, what you understand truth to be, you're settled into the truth about who God is, you can't be moved. Spiritually, your heart's affections, what you love and what you will die for, spiritually. Now, the spirit is the spirit of truth and love. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth brings the truth home and we accept it, embrace it, and then we are sealed by the Holy Spirit who brings the love of God and pours it into our hearts and renews us to love what God loves and our hearts are reunited and realigned with him. That we are settled into the truth. This is the seal of God. That we have the name or character of God reproduced in us. And this happens in the forehead because that's where we do our worship and our thinking. And we can't forget the love, true love, has to be freely given. That's right. Freely given. Freedom and love are inseparable. Now, the mark of the beast is just the opposite. The mark of the beast is having your heart, mind, or character sealed into the lies about God and the beastly methods where you actually believe it's righteous to punish and coerce and, and, uh, and hurt other people to, to advance your cause. Or you're marked in the hand, you don't actually believe it, but you go along and participate in order to protect yourself. And how does the Sabbath fit into all this? Still trying to unpack the law and see where the Sabbath fits in. The Sabbath is a sign. Remember, it's a, I just, the Bible says it's a sign. Actually, it's a sign. A sign, a symbol, a flag, a pennant. And think about the sign of a cross. It's just a symbol. It's not the reality. The Sabbath is a signet, a sign, a symbol, an evidence. Now think about a flag for a minute. The U.S. flag is a, there's one, symbol of the country. It is not the country, but it represents the country. You know, this past Thursday, I was at my grandchildren's elementary school musical program, and the entire program was a patriotic program, and they sang songs like, um, it was a musical program, they sang songs like, You're a Grand Old Flag, The Star-Spangled Banner, My Country, Tis of Thee, The Battle Hymn of the Republic, and it was a, and I remember, and most of you here have been to programs like this throughout your life, haven't you? Fourth of July programs and other programs where you have patriotic music playing. And I remember my entire life, Every time I was at one of these programs, I just felt a sense of joy, a sense of pride, a sense of patriotism, a sense of security and happiness. I was struck at how my emotional reaction this time was in stark contrast to my entire life up to this point. When I was hearing these songs this time, you know what popped into my mind? For those of you who remember the musical, The Sound of Music, anybody remember that old musical? Do you remember in that musical... Captain Von Trapp at the, at the competition sings Edelweiss, a love song, the night before the Nazis take over Austria. And he sang that song, which was a song of the liberties and freedoms of Austria that were 
the shadow was closing over and their freedoms are about. That's exactly how I felt. The shadows of the evil are closing over this great nation and our liberties are being encroached upon. Our freedoms are being taken away one at a time. And I want you to notice how the liars, the enemies of liberty, how they have done this in America, and it's going to apply to the Sabbath. That flag throughout my entire life, and most of you too, but that flag has always been a symbol of freedom. Liberty and freedom for all. That's what it's a symbol of. It's a symbol of liberty. It's a symbol of freedom. But the liars and perverts in our country over the last so many years have attacked the symbol and made the symbol a symbol of slavery and abuse. We must kneel down and protest it. And now in our country, that symbol of liberty and freedom is a symbol of coercion, abuse, white privilege, domination, uh, slavery. And what has happened in our country as the symbol of freedom and liberty has been attacked? Have we actually gotten more freedom and liberty in this country? No. No. As you have attacked the symbol of liberty and freedom, you've attacked the spirit of liberty and freedom. And as you attack the spirit of liberty and freedom, you attack the motives and the hearts of people and you infect them with fear and insecurity and false guilt and people will surrender liberties and freedoms. And this is exactly what we're having happen in this country. I want you to understand because it's the same strategy that happens with the Sabbath. Just like that flag is a symbol of liberty and freedom, the Sabbath is a symbol of liberty and freedom. The Sabbath came into existence at the end of creation week after Satan rebelled in heaven. There's a war going on, a question of who you can trust, a question of God's law, a question of is it design law, is it coercive, or is it coercive, is it imperial, is it if you better do it or else I'm going to punish. And after God creates an entire planet, notice the planet he created, was created, Paul says in Romans 1.20, all nature uh, so it says that all, uh, God's divine nature is seen in what he has made so that men are without excuse. It's all designed by God to run on love, everything giving to everything else freely. The whole system, the ecosystem's all constantly living on love. And after he gives this great display, culminating in, let us make man in our image, and the two individuals come into unity of love, and they will create beings in their image. Incredible. Incredible sharing of power, incredible display of design law, how it's all constructed to live in perfect harmony for the health and well-being of all. Instead of saying, get in line or else I'll kill you, God says, universe, you've heard the allegations, you've seen the evidence we've created, now universe, take 24 hours aside, I rest my case. There's no pressure. Think it through. Weigh the evidence. Come to your own conclusion. Free. Liberty. The Sabbath was created as a memorial of God's methods. Truth presented in love, leaving people free. It is a sign of liberty. Your liberty. Your being set free. We rest in our Creator, His design. We rest in our Savior, who provides all we need for our salvation. We are free. But Satan, just like the liars in our community have attacked the symbol of American freedom, he attacks the symbols of God's freedom. And he's been doing it through history. He attacks it with imperialism. Let's reframe the... uh, we, We don't get rid of the flag. 
We haven't replaced the flag in America. We've reframed it as a symbol of a slavery and abuse. We reframe the seventh day as an imperial rule, a test of obedience just made up by an arbitrary dictator that he's going to test whether you obey. And if you don't, he'll punish you if you don't obey. And, and so the Sabbath becomes the greatest burden and the greatest stress and the greatest oppression of people instead of a day of liberty. He perverts it and reframes it, or he replaces it completely with another day that came about through legislation. And the Sunday became a day of holy worship, not by design, not by creation, by legislation. Thus, it symbolizes the sign of imperial Roman power. And these are what the two days represent. They represent two kingdoms or two systems of governing. A creator who is love, who creates a universe to operate on the principles of love, truth, love, freedom. And every week, every week, the whole world passes through this day, ignorantly, maybe. Or they pass through it as a false framing. Oh, it's an American flag, but that's just a country of abuse and slaves. We need to get rid of that flag. Or they pass through it righteously, cherishing it. Thank you, God, for the freedoms and liberties in your kingdom. We long for for your kingdom to come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We long for it. Or we replace it with another day to celebrate the resurrection, not realizing in our ignorance that we are simply giving power to imperialism and believing that it is actually righteous to be able to change God's law, and that's how he governs. The real issue is not the specific days, folks. There's nothing wrong with going to church on Sunday. If you're a Sunday goer, praise, praise God for your going to church on Sunday. Keep going. There's nothing wrong with going to church on Sunday. Any more than there's wrong with going to church on Wednesday night prayer meeting. It's what the days represent that are the problem. Two systems of governing. Imperialism with a dictator God who will punish you for breaking his rules or the creator God who created us for freedom and liberty and wants to restore us back into righteousness. Now, I got another quote. I'm going to try to go through it fairly quickly. This is uh, Review and Herald, April 27, 1911. It says, um, Christ died to save sinners, not in their sins, but from their sins. Again, notice, contrast, imperial law, he saves us in our sins because he took the punishment for our sins. No, design law. He actually saves us from sin. We get new hearts and right spirits. We're recreated within. The warning given in Revelation shows us the terrible consequences of transgression. By lips that will not lie, God's law is declared to be holy, just, and good. Our duty to obey this law is to be the burden of the last message of mercy to the world. This law? This law that, that, uh, that cannot be changed, that, that the angels didn't even know existed? What kind of law are we to make? To... This is the three angels' messages, folks. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth. Design law, which represents God as creator. And reject this imperial thing that makes him out to be a Roman dictator. God's law is not a new thing. It is not holiness created, but holiness made known. Now she's referencing the Ten Commandments. Think about that. When parents give rules to their kids to brush their teeth or not play in the street, are parents making up laws? Or are they making known to the kids the laws upon which their health depend? That's all the Ten Commandments were, making known the law of love and how it works in reality. 
It is a code of principles expressing mercy, goodness, and love. It it presents to fallen humanity the character of God and states plainly the whole duty of men. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and neighbor as yourself. These principles are made known by the third angel's message, which declare that the Creator has always required by the third angel's message, which declare not the first and second, by the third angel's message, which declares that the Creator is always required and always will require obedience to his royal law. If you didn't listen to class last week, go back and listen, because I unpacked how the third angel's message is good news, and the entire third angel's message is a revelation of one design law after another design law, and what happens to those who break the design laws. But this law has been disregarded and transgressed and is now being ignored by the churches. Human enactments are placed where God's law should be. Again, imperial law is how we teach the creator runs his universe. And it corrupts the way we understand God. Understand it is not about worshiping on Sunday. Let's get that clear. It's about the system of government that you believe God runs his universe by. Accepting the idea that God's law is imperial is the change, is the root change to the beast system. The beast depends on it. And so in that context that I went through a minute ago of the war in heaven, if God were the type of being Satan alleges him to be, a rule maker who punishes the disobedience by the infliction of punishment, the seventh-day Sabbath would not exist. He would say, here are my rules. You obey. Justice will require that if you don't, that I punish you. But instead, rather than using power to force compliance, God instead created the Sabbath as a day of freedom to think and come to your own conclusion. No pressure and no coercion. The Sabbath is evidence that Satan lied about God and God's law. And that's why it is an eternal and perpetual sign for all eternity future of God's character and methods. The first six days of creation week teach us that God is powerful and creator. The seventh day reveals the character and the methods of the one who wields the power, truth, love, and liberty. And that's why Satan hates it, and that's why Satan attacks it. For the same reasons the haters of liberty in America hate the flag of America, because it stands for liberty and freedom and justice for all. And I'm going to tell you, just look at the history in your own short lives, my own short life, since that flag has been attacked in our country, have we gotten more freedoms and have we gotten more justice? Or have we gotten more injustices happening and less liberties and less freedoms? Because the spirit of liberty and justice is being destroyed. The symbol of that flag has no power. But in and of it, it's a piece of cloth. But what it represents, the truth it represents, the truth is powerful, and the truth is under assault when you assault the symbol. And thus your mind becomes filled with a lie. America doesn't stand for liberty and freedom. It stands for abuse and coercion and slavery. And the same thing happens when you attack the Sabbath. Instead of underseeing it as the, as the evidence of God's liberty and freedom, the way he governs, if it becomes a test of obedience, then we, then we have our minds assaulted with this lie that God is arbitrary, dictator, and punishing, and that destroys within us the image of God. It's quite destructive what's happening. I have some more quotes if God was the imperial God that punished people that 
went astray, then why is Satan alive? Good. Exactly right. If he were the kind of God that runs the universe that way, then he would have just lined everybody up and said, you broke my rule, had a trial, here's the evidence, you're dead, and execute him. That's not how he runs the universe. He, he wants love, trust, loyalty, devotion, and friendship, and you can't get those things by threatening to punish people who don't give them to you. And this is also why he takes the long, long, painful approach of revealing truth and love and leaving us free, because you must be persuaded in your own mind. Romans 4, 14. Every person be fully persuaded. The only way for you to retain your unique individuality and be eternally saved is for you to be won over by the truth and embrace it and choose it. Surrendering to our God and participating with him for your transformation. Then you, the unique person, get retained while your heart motives get transformed and renewed. The old is gone, the new has come. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a creator and that your laws are eternal laws of love emanating from your personhood that sustains the goodness and health and life of all who are loyal and, and who love you. We pray that your spirit will continue to enlighten and empower and, and, and make us effective in helping to free hearts and minds from these deep lies that are, that are invading society and inciting fear and causing so much destruction. We can see the events forming. We can see the beast begin to rise, and we just prepare, pr- pray that we can be sealed in our hearts and minds to be able to stand faithfully in the face of this massive deception taking over the world. We pray in your holy name. Amen.